0: welcome to the podcast Casey it's so nice to have you with us Um, for those of you who don't know Casey Wilson she is a naturopath and nutritionist Um, over 15 years experience working with women to help them feel balanced and nourished heading into and throughout motherhood so pregnancy preconception babies all of that kind of thing please tell us about your journey yeah, well,
1: I am a mum of two, very cheeky girls and a wife to Tom and actually I was just well, just talking about it before. We recently moved to a farm so I'm also going to have farmer as my title soon. <laughs> <laughs> but as a naturopath I have been supporting patients over 15 years and this all began really for me this passion of hormone health and gut health because I went through my own journey in my late teens with chronic candida overgrowth and adrenal fatigue I was a big party girl and it caught up with me basically so that sort of I went through my own journey with that and as I came out as a naturopath that was really what I attracted a lot of in clinic and I got some really good results but it was as I was helping these women um with getting great results with their hormone health and they progressed through life of course a lot of them then wanted to bring babies into their world so they asked me to guide them through that and so I began their support as you know optimizing their their fertility health, supported them through pregnancy and continued through baby and mum life. So that's really, it allowed me to really gain some great experience in that field. And it just opened my eyes up to how effective preconception care can be to really support the, the growth and development of a healthy bubba. So that was like, that became my specialty and of course as I went through it myself I embarked on that journey and um had my two girls then it just really solidified the importance of all of that and my passion for helping women and and couples you know heading into and throughout their motherhood and parenthood journeys yeah so that's where it began for me
0: sorry I noticed on your on your website that you've been through a few struggles with your own fertility and um pregnancy nausea and all sorts of so sometimes I find it's the people that have been through well I always find the people that have been through the struggles and come out the other side are the most effective in helping others um mm-hmm. how have you found your experience yeah. to help
1: our biggest challenge with fertility journey it you know, in comparison to many other couples, it's really not huge. But um, for us, we had a miscarriage the first time I conceived. And, um, you know, I wasn't happy with just the, you know, it happens approach to to it. And so I dug deeper and I worked with an integrative GP. And we worked out for me it was low progesterone. And so why I'm so passionate now is to give couples this information so to know what to get tested before they conceive, to know what to build up and to ensure that they're at healthy levels before they go into pregnancy. Because if I had done that and knew that I had those low progesterone levels myself and and my thyroid at the time was struggling, I was giving all this support to everyone else and I didn't actually test that for myself. And so working with her, we were able to overcome that. So I then used that knowledge as a naturopath to support my progesterone and then had my two beautiful daughters after that. So yeah it did really solidify the importance of getting bloods and tests on preconception and knowing where you're at uh, before heading into that that journey because you can you know prevent these things but you know they happen for a reason so now I can help so many other women and couples
0: exactly. So we're going to talk about first about preconception, um, health and nutrition. What kind of things do you usually, start with if you're thinking about having a baby.
1: Yeah, well the first thing I do is I talk to my patients about the importance. So I I feel like traditionally most of the focus is spent on the mum to be and not not the the dad to be. So firstly I explain the importance of both of them coming on board to help prepare themselves just to really you know optimize their health in this time so that for the feather it's about his sperm health for the mum to be it's about not just her egg health but building up her nutritional reserves because and and helping with hormones of course as well but this is a big one because when you embark on that journey of pregnancy your baby's going to be taking from you and needing all of these things not just through pregnancy but if you decide to breastfeed that continues for you know potentially years and so I do see deficiencies crop up even years down the track after pregnancy so it's about boosting up and and nourishing that mum to be um, supporting her egg health supporting her hormones gut health of course as well and and for the dad to be his sperm health and um, yeah that really plays a really important role because we have to remember at the time of conception that the health the future health of the baby to be is determined not just on on the mum to be but both parents health and genetics at that time of conception so that's usually a big eye-opener for for couples to know that and it's a great driver to support their make, to make these changes that they need to make um, preconception conception um, and I do like to talk about it as that bucket approach too. So for the mum to be, you know, filling up her bucket at the start because through pregnancy that'll that'll get taken, her nutrients will be taken to bubs and then pregnancy as well. Um, so if you start with a full bucket, it's going to give you the best chance to get through that phase and not have those deficiencies occur as well. Um, but I do like to, you know, break down this phase of preconception into at least three to four, and I say at least highlighted because is at least three to four months to build them up so we're looking at supporting the sperm health and the egg health in those three months. Um, but if we can have longer then we can look at like detoxification prior to that so a good you know if we can do six, 12 months before they want to actively start trying that's amazing and we can dig deeper into detoxing before we do the rebuild stage. Um, so yeah I feel like that's that's important to, to know if you yeah you could put that time aside beforehand.
0: That makes me think of a question that I get asked a lot. Um, Mums often ask if they're pregnant, is it okay to do a healing diet because they're worried about detoxing, you know, into the baby and same Mm. with breastfeeding. So like you're saying, it's so important to work on that beforehand. What would you say to that? Yeah, definitely. It's not a time. Pregnancy And just before,
1: like when you're thinking about conceiving, it's not a time to be detoxing. Um, You know, sometimes you don't have the option. There's beautiful miracles that happen that, you know, weren't planned Um, and, you know, we've got to let that go and if if it wasn't in our control. But if you are actively trying to detox and you're trying to have a baby or currently pregnant, it's not something that I would recommend. Um, There's ways that you can gently you know, encourage your liver health through foods and, you know, things like using cruciferous vegetables for your liver health or apple cider vinegar and, you know, just gentle ways like that that you can, of course, but I wouldn't be actively doing like a heavy metal
0: detox or um, a parasite cleanse or something like that during pregnancy, no. And even with something like GAPS, um, the recommendation is generally keep it to full GAPS, keep it pretty wide and gentle, not the intro GAPS, right?
1: Yeah, I just chatted to Elise um, the other day on this too and um, she said some cases, like if they were, you know, if they were already on such a restricted diet because they were having such extreme, you know, health challenges, then there may be a need for it. But, you know, most cases, yeah, full gaps and then extra carbs on top
0: of that, yeah. Ah, extra carbs. Yeah, it's true. I remember being very um, starving for carbs when I was pregnant. (laughs) Why is that? (laughs) Well, it's more so, I I actually say
1: preconception, we need to be really in tune with ovulation. Mm -hmm. So some women do actually need to, like they need to be in tune with whether they're ovulating, if they're on full gaps, for instance, and they perhaps aren't ovulating regularly, maybe they do need to up their carbs a little bit to, you know, help their body prepare for pregnancy and bring that ovulation more regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, But some women... In, if they have, say, PCOS, for example, and insulin resistance, they need to come back on the carbs. So it's very individual uh, with the approach. But in terms of pregnancy, it's definitely not a time to be, you know, dieting and restricting. Just make sure, firstly, if you're not feeling too nauseous, to make sure it's nutritious, like foods that you're having. So when I say carbs, you know, sweet potato or pumpkin rather than just, you know, white bread, of course. There's difference between carbs and carbs, but, um, yeah, it's not a time to be restricting at all. Your body needs that for a reason. Um, often, you know, foods like dairy are craved when they don't have dairy before because bubs needs more calcium and it's it's a phase where we actually can um, absorb dairy and um, absorb the calcium
0: better during pregnancy from those foods because you need it.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Mm.
0: So what kind of diet would you recommend during, like, preconception? Yeah. And then moving into the pregnancy?
1: Definitely. Like a, a GAPS type approach is is really a great foundation. So through my, I've got a preconception guide, Path to Conscious Conception, where I step them through, like, a detox phase, and that's very similar to GAPS, mm-hmm. really. It's- So they're taking out, um, you know, the sugars, the grains, just helping their their gut, um, helping them set up for good gut health. And then from there it's about, you know, increasing a little bit more in with like sweet potato and some some more tubers and things like that to to help prepare them for pregnancy. Um, But that's a great foundation. Um, But I do also help make sure that we're bringing in detoxifying types of foods like broccoli and cauliflower and kale and um, cabbage and sauerkraut, all of those things. The detox-y, uh, detox savvy herbs like coriander and parsley, so doing things like pesto is fantastic because, you know, coriander is a really great detoxer. Um, this is in the detox phase too, not just straight before, but that can help to pull out heavy metals. So um, don't underestimate the power of foods anti-inflammatory spices your ginger and um, turmeric are fantastic wherever you can get that in Um, rosemary is a great herb as well so i've got this simple recipe just for roast broccoli added onto that some beautiful rosemary and that's just an awesome way to help your liver and your hormones as well Uh, fermented foods of course and bone broth you know all about that for gut healing and um Helping to detox through the gut. So, that kind of like I, I try to take that food approach, but then we could add things in like some chlorella. Um, this is in more like the six month before preconception phase, uh, broccoli sprout powder, things like this that we can ramp up that detoxing. Yeah, in that preconception phase. Um, but also, of course, it's not just about diet, it's about the lifestyle. So, I always, you know, teach well, really coach um, patients and readers about the importance of low-tox living. So I don't know if I need to go into that um, here from where I already delved in, but just things like you might not think about it, seeing the dentist like a good six, three, six months out, because if you have to have work done, you don't want to be doing that through pregnancy or just before conceiving. So it's little things like that, of course, you know, filtering your water, um, you know, going low-tox with all your products. They're all really important things to do, but also look at electromagnetic radiation. Um, I teach patients about, you know, having the radiation blankets on their lap because that radiation, when you're on your phone, it's it's directly going into that area of the reproductive organs. So um, having some things in place that you can help to, you know, to mitigate the effects of, of that kind of stress as well. So it's not just about diet, it's about lifestyle.
0: For those who are not really up on the EMF side of things, can you explain why, what what EMFs are and what they can do to the body?
1: Yeah, well, I'm certainly no um, building biologist. You, you need to get one of those on your show, We've but. I had one on
0: just <laughs> recently. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, electromagnetic radiation or frequency. So, they have shown through studies. So, there is a study that shows through men putting um, their phone in their pocket, does it impacts that radiation can impact the sperm health. So, um, yeah, it's about the distance. Like keeping our distance. We're never going to be able to in our day and age. Completely be free from electromagnetic radiation, but it's things that like your phones. Um, if we can have distance from them or turning them onto airplane mode or mobile um, data off when we don't need that on. Um, about having the, the barrier blankets, things like this, so we're protecting those vulnerable areas. Um, the good thing about sperm health, though, is that three month three. 3 months time you turn that over so by just making a change in like now 3 months time that's going to really benefit the fella's mm-hmm. sperm health so it, yeah it is a really good driver to make these changes um, but yeah hopefully that kind of explained it's it, it's the radiation component it's not great for for any of our health but particularly vulnerable areas like reproductive health
0: i have another question about that but i'll save it because um, i want to just talk a little bit more about the um, Yeah, the preconception care. So what about things like um, cod liver oil and um, organ meats and that kind of thing? Do you recommend those?
1: Yeah, so... If we're looking at like some top nutrients that I'd recommend, of course, you know, we're looking at mama-to-be here, we need folate-rich foods. I know there's a lot of information about folate reducing the risk of neural tube defects, but it's actually really important for the whole phase of, um, you know, fertility. So uh, we want it to be in your diet for healthy egg development, ovulation and fetal growth as well, and it also continues to support that child's health through healthy DNA um, production and replication and um, their growth throughout their childhood. And we do know that folate deficiency along with B12 and um, B6 have been linked to miscarriage as well. So we want the folate there, but I say folate, not folic acid, um, because first we want folate through foods, of course, green leafy vegetables. We know are rich in um, folate, but also this is the time to grab out the liver. The liver has got it all in there. And as you know, like it's a powerhouse of vitamin A as well. And that, that brings me to the next one. We need to be having vitamin A preconception. It's hugely important. I'll refer to my notes here because I really want to make sure that this, this um, you know, comes home for a lot of people because it's, often forgotten about but if you bring up vitamin a for pregnancy particularly women will say well we need to be careful of like too much vitamin a and that's really the only thing that we associate with vitamin a um, conventionally so i want to turn that on its head because we absolutely need vitamin a for reproductive health so the reason for preconception it's a critical fat soluble antioxidant that plays a role in your reproductive health and that Also, if we're looking at that um, study that was done, it's a questionable study um, referring to 10,000 IUs as the upper limit for vitamin A during pregnancy. It is actually questionable and debatable, but even if it was, um, if we do go by that study, 10,000 IU is a lot. Um, So it's about 1,000 IU in a good quality cod liver oil. serving so it does vary between brands but you know it's it's still a huge amount but the reasons why you want vitamin A in your diet preconception firstly it plays a really protective role for sperm health and like it it helps to protect the sperm protective mucus so sperm need this sperm protective mucus to move along and allow conception to happen so that's very important of course um, crucial healthy reproduction embryonic and fetal development. Vitamin A plays a role in that. Um, sufficient levels preconception can reduce the risk of miscarriage. And this can be because the importance of vitamin A for the thyroid gland. So the thyroid is actually um, stores more vitamin A than any other organ. So it's hugely important vitamin A for thyroid, which we need for conception to take place, and it does reduce the risk of miscarriage, having a healthy thyroid. And what happens here is the first half of your pregnancy, um, bubs actually takes your thyroid hormone and the second half, bubs takes your iodine to make their own thyroid hormone. So the whole pregnancy, you need iodine, um, but you need that thyroid to be working well so um, iodine is another one I'll talk about in a second but once pregnant the vitamin A plays a role in the development of eyes and vision for bubs uh, but also helps to prevent uh, with the skeletal development of course as well and nervous system development um, pre- prevents the risk of deafness which is an interesting one and internal organ displacement and birth defects so with that study that I was referring to talks about birth defects with having too much vitamin A but it's actually the opposite so cleft palate is one of them we need enough vitamin a to prevent that Mm -hmm. so when it comes to food sources there's basically retinol which is true vitamin a sources so these are our animal sources of vitamin a and they are used immediately by the body so you can use them straight away there's also beta carotene or pro vitamin a sources but they need to be converted first for your body to use and so um, there's a few things that could impact that from happening like digestive health, thyroid health, um, reduced fat intake in the diet that can impact your ability to use those foods. So I do always recommend that we have some kind of retinal source in your diet preconception. 800 micrograms is the recommended amount at a pregnancy. Um, so, oh, that's micrograms too. So, there's a conversion to, that needs to be made between IU and, and micrograms. But um, yeah, you do need that retinol source, I, I feel. So, things like, you know, liver, cheese, butter, trout, caviar are the main ones. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, delicious absolutely some people say well I don't get those in my diet so that's when I recommend well I recommend it anyway the cod liver oil mm-hmm. it's just a great way of getting in the vitamin A and the DHA which is another crucial nutrient for Bob's um, brain development and eye development DHA, Sorry,
0: of the cod liver oil I guess it depends on the brand but how uh, much did you say yeah
1: yeah, around a teaspoon. If you're taking the liquid capsules, about three three capsules. Um, so there is that will supply the DHA and the vitamin A. Um, but if you want to boost up the DHA, you can take an additional fish oil on top of that, or just look at your food sources of DHA just to boost it up to the really high levels of of that for Baby's brain. Um, but I do like oil because the no, no, that's all right. I, I love the cod liver oil just because it's a food form mm. of your DHA, of your vitamin A, of your vitamin D as well. And you know, nature's
0: provided, so let's use it. Yeah, yeah it's all in that perfect package. Um, some people get their DHA levels checked, don't they? There is a test that you can do.
1: I, okay. I don't. Some um, midwives are offering it now. I think there's yeah. some studies with hospitals, but I don't feel like you need to get it done as long as you're taking one. Yeah, if you're really hesitant for some reason of taking one, then um, then get it checked to make sure you know your levels. But the levels will also change throughout pregnancy because it's particularly the third trimester when bubs is really drawing your DHA for their eye development and breastfeeding as well. So if you've had it checked at the start, it's going to be different to, to the end of your trimesters anyway. So like any yeah. test; it's just a moment in time, isn't it? exactly that's right so you know you're always needing to be working on your health it's not just like I've done all the work now I can sit
0: back and relax (laughs) Um, Um, and and that's what I love about the food sources as you bring them into your diet that all these foods that you're saying they're really things that you would take preconception during pregnancy and during breastfeeding right
1: Yeah, so this is, I'm just really chatting about preconception now, but there's absolutely a crossover between, you know, continuing them through pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll mention a couple others. So vitamin D, you know, that's hugely important. Preconception, that that has a, a massive support. For your hormone health in general, your immune health, um, reducing inflammation. So it has been shown to improve the incidence of like even IVF outcomes. Um, helps to stimulate AMH. AMH, sorry. So if that's low, um, you know, there's lots of lots of reasons for getting your vitamin d checked i would get that checked and then knowing where you're at with that so you can boost that preconception because if you go into pregnancy with vitamin d low bubs will also have low vitamin d so you do want to really um you know promote the the levels of that so of course sun on the skin is the best way of getting your vitamin d in um, and then once you're pregnant those those benefits really continue for baby for their immune health and um, their you know mental health outcomes as well and their you know, brain health so you know vitamin d is huge but I will also mention preconception, I would highly recommend having your urinary iodine levels checked. So this is something like when we talk about tests, these are things that I would recommend because iodine, as I mentioned before, is hugely important for your thyroid health. And if you you know go into um, pregnancy and you've got low iodine levels, then your thyroid's going to struggle. And as I mentioned, your thyroid hormone needs to go to baby. And so if your levels drop, then that can potentially contribute to miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, you know, you want your iodine levels for their IQ development as well. So it's it's hugely important if you know where you're at. Often the case is in Australia, uh, if soils are deficient, we need a supplement. So that's one that I'd say across the board a supplement, unless you've got um, autoimmunity of the thyroid. And that's where you need to be careful of iodine um, supplementation, and that's another reason why i say well let's check so i just had a patient the other day where she has autoimmunity of her thyroid usually she's wanting to to conceive and so we're supporting her through that but we did her iodine test and it was actually through the roof so she does not need iodine but that's very rare case so most of the time we do need it just to to really go into pregnancy and support things like thyroid and
0: iq for bubs so with iodine, you'd usually say best to talk to a practitioner to get that sorted out, right? Get the test done. You can actually get your urinary
1: iodine through a GP. Well, I mean, and for the
0: supplementation. For
1: the supplement, absolutely, yeah. So once you've got your levels, see a practitioner that that knows, you know, is in this field and knows what that level means in terms of what how much supplementation you need. But you can always start with bringing seaweeds into your diet. That's not going to be harmful. You can get seaweed supplements. Um, you can get seaweed that's uh, salt that's had seaweed added to it, like the Changing Habits one. You can get sauerkraut that's got seaweed added to it. So that's where I'd start. Um, but definitely looking at seeing GP to get that checked. Um, if you want it covered under Medicare, you can get it through naturopaths as well, but you do need to pay, it's about, it'll be over $100 for urinary iodine. But it's very important to get that one checked. Um, yeah, so that's just a few snippets of things. Preconception, um, going into pregnancy, things do, you know, shift a little bit with, you um, Protein requirements. So, protein, you'd be looking at, you know, 85 grams up until about 30 weeks. And then you really want to ramp it up to 100 grams. So, that's something that you can straight away look at um, per, you know, day. per day. So, it's quite a bit at the end because there's such rapid growth with baby. And um, so, just to put that into perspective, like an egg, for example, is six grams of protein. So, it's oh, wow. quite a bit <laughs> to have. A- yeah so you know smoothies with collagen and you know you can ramp it up but you do actually need quite
0: a bit at the end and really Um, the the animal sources of protein would be the best option because otherwise you'd be really struggling wouldn't you to get exactly yeah that's when nutrient-dense foods
1: you know that's a perfect example of why yeah animal products really serve us
0: yeah Mm. can I just continue, continue. continue about liver Because I know a lot of people listening will be going, I just can't eat liver, it's disgusting. Can you give some tips about ways to get it in if you don't want to cook it or, you know? Yeah, well, like literally
1: just before this podcast, I chopped some up and froze it in little cubes. So um, you can like tiny little amounts and you can then put it into a smoothie or you can grate it into a bolognese or a slow cooked meal, like you don't even taste it that way. Um, Or you can do the next step and get, it encapsulated. So there's quite a few brands on the market now that do um, freeze-dried organic liver, beef liver, so you can have that otherwise. Um, And so that together with cod liver oil, amazing sources of iron, uh, the vitamin A, of course, but then the liver is also an amazing source of iron um, and B12 and zinc and all these other things as well. So, um, of course, the copper. So there is a lot of information about iron out there. I probably won't go into that today, but um, I would say if, if you're being told to supplement iron, first come back to the basics and get some liver in because the liver has got the vitamin A and it's got the copper that you need to use utilize that iron and use in your body so that's something
0: I'd say do that first yeah there's a lot of um yeah what do you think of iron transfusions because you hear that oh you're in your pregnancy your iron's low you're gonna have to have a transfusion but I've heard some things that are not so good about that it's a huge dose like iron is a toxic like minerals
1: so we need to be careful of it the, the studies are showing lower doses like around 25 24 milligrams of iron a day is okay in terms of supplements it's better absorbed that way um, if you're going to do anything higher than that you need to do every second day because there's this substance called hepsidin, which kind of comes in and controls the iron absorption and so if you've done anything higher than that every day your body's not going to really absorb it anyway um, so it. it's worth yeah it's working with that practitioner again that understands that and having the cofactors there as well so not just about iron it's about copper and vitamin a and um, b12 and all those other things that you need magnesium to help you use that iron properly so So if you're getting best to have it in food sources (laughs) exactly that's right start with your foods and you know if you're getting things like green poos because you're taking iron that's it's going through you, are not absorbing it properly. So yeah, there's, there's a lot on the market that you're probably just going to be causing constipation. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yes. Um. I had no idea about all this stuff back in the, the, back in the day when I was having my babies and I remember all the issues with the taking the iron and then getting constipated and it's, it's not much fun. My niece recently um, had a baby and she's very up on, you know, the health and the diet. And she's she follows basically a Western A price guidelines Mm. diet. And she was told her iron was low and she had to have an infusion. And she was like, "Mm, I'm gonna try the natural methods. So she just really got into the liver and egg yolks and Mm all the olive oil and just really focused on she had raw milk. She did all the fermenting and she had the most beautiful healthy baby, beautiful birth. Um you just Like her baby is like, I don't think I've ever seen such a chilled, happy, settled, (laughs) growing Mm. so well baby. And it's just such a great um, example of how the food makes a massive difference. And she's got so much energy. She's got two other kids. She's just like, yeah, it's just really wonderful to see. Absolutely. And something to um,
1: understand there too is the reference ranges are different. So, what they are saying when you're saying when they're saying you're too low we need an iron infusion naturopaths have different reference ranges for Mm -hmm. pregnancy and, and where realistically you should be looking at the studies around the world so for example the third trimester they'll want you at 30 or more with your ferritin whereas you know if you're down to 15 and above that's fine like 20 to 30 is a is like average around the world um, so there's also other things to understand, like
0: they're low. It may not be that low um, as well. So, yeah. And obviously but- um, I'm not suggesting go against your health practitioners <laughs> advice, but she did take other advice. And I would recommend seeing a naturopath or someone who knows how to use food because food is such a powerful medic- medicine. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, it naturally has those cofactors there. Like mm. it's not a synthetic form of something that, yeah your, your body will know how to use it and that's that's what my food's are always best mm. yes so um, um, yeah go
0: ahead keep going <laughs> i was
1: just gonna say
0: that iodine
1: um yeah. So pregnancy, the iodine levels, as I was saying before, that is truly important as well. So that's why you really do want to be on, unless you have that, the thyroid anti autoimmunity, you really do want to be on that supplement when you conceive because it's in really early weeks that you, your body will need to be using that straight away. So just a reminder to really look at iodine as one of the supplements that you do do consider. Um, but calcium requirements also go up during pregnancy. So especially the second and third trimesters, of course, as babies, you know, skeletal system is developing. Um, so you'll also need to be mindful of getting 1,000 milligrams a day in of calcium. And this is where I'd say if you are following a plant-based diet that you need to be reaching for things like sardines. Oh, sorry, if you're plant- plant-based, you're not going to be having sardines. But this is just another reason to maybe consider having it's some foods breeze. that yeah yeah so dairy of course if you're you know having dairy that's the best source of calcium we can't ignore that Um, sardines are fantastic because the little bones have got the calcium in there things like tahini yes the sesame have got calcium in there but you need a huge amount of them to get that thousand milligrams in a day so a lot of mums do find that in pregnancy they digest dairy better and it's nature's way of, like, you know, allowing you to absorb more of that calcium. So, you know, don't don't shy away from dairy if you're getting good quality, and of course, fermented if you can as well um, for that calcium. Um, just with calcium, a good point is if you are taking iron supplements or taking the liver to enhance your, li- your um the liver to enhance your iron levels, take it away from any dairy or any. Really high calcium-rich foods because the two compete with each other, so that is something that I see a lot of mums doing. They'll have maybe some yogurt in the morning with their iron supplement or liver, but the two are going to compete. So have the the yogurt at night, maybe for a snack before bed, and have all of your iron-rich foods, particularly in the morning before ten am. And um, that's a really good way of absorbing iron. And if you are having supplements, it's before ten am.
0: Yeah, interesting. Um, if you're not getting enough calcium when you're pregnant, um, is that, can that affect your child's teeth? Yeah,
1: that, but it's also about those fat soluble vitamins as well. So vitamin D, E, A, they're crucial for that and K, of course, as well. So the fermented foods and the the fermented dairy, particularly um, the butter, the liver or cod liver oil, all of those things are going to really help, um, yeah, with the teeth development yeah so western um, sorry yeah western a Price, of course but dr stephen lynn is also a really mm, great I one love too. following dr.
0: Stephen
1: lynn. yeah so yeah so it's not just calcium there's other um, things that you need to couple that with but certainly another reason to get into those fat soluble vitamin rich foods yeah um, glycine and choline are two that i did want to mention as well so pregnancy is a time where those your needs for those amino acids that the glycine amino acid will go up and that helps with baby's brain um dna their skeletal um so their skeletal development, teeth, of course, as well with the glycine. So the best way of getting that in is your slow cooking. So all of the things that Joe is amazing at doing, um, that and that also helps to um, promote healthy skin. So as your skin stretches during pregnancy, glycine is amazing for that connective tissue as well. Um, and of course, going into birth, if you know there's any tearing, that's going to help with the healing. So collagen-rich foods, they're all high in glycine as well, and um, they're going to help that you know, boosting them up pre, pre-birth pre is really gonna, going to help with the, the healing. Um, but choline is really critical for not just um, their brain health but reducing the risk of neural tube defects as well. So that's something that goes up with the needs for that in pregnancy are quite high. So about 440 milligrams a day and they go up to 550 during um, breastfeeding. So wow. the needs just, and just to put it into perspective, um, the best source of choline is eggs, and one egg yolk is 115 milligrams of choline. So you do need quite a bit of this, like of the food. So it's, it takes a bit to get that. Uh, so this is also another one that I'd say most of the time you do need a supplement for um, for boosting up those levels of choline. But it's actually it's so important, and I, I refer to a um, research that shows that increased maternal intake of choline improves the information processing speed of a baby it showed this at 4 7 10 and 13 months of age so that's just a, a um, study I linked to in one of my um, books but choline really helps that process so it's it is a good one that I'd say you know up up your eggs and um, consider a supplement there
0: yeah maybe you could give us the link to that study later to put in the notes that'd be interesting yeah 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 absolutely I just shake my head when I hear the things on social media about don't eat eggs. I'm like, this, are just like a superfood.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. It's that risk to benefit rate, like looking at the benefits of having the eggs, even if they are running, like personally had running eggs, um, you know, it's just so nutritious for you to to leave them out just for that tiny, you know, chance of you having a bad one, then that's, yeah. It's something that you need to think about yourselves. Like I'm not going to go tell everyone to have a heap of worms, but um, certainly eggs are nutritious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there are a few things there that I um, would suggest, and as I said, with that protein, that's the big one for upping, upping the level of, of what you're having through the day, particularly the, the last trimester is when baby's going to be growing rapidly, and that's also when that DH DHA requirement goes up for their eye. Um, their eye development
0: as well yeah what about cravings you know when um, someone's usually on a certain diet and then they go into pregnancy and they want stuff that they never usually have like you mentioned dairy Um, I had a friend who was um, I think she was vegan vegan or vegetarian and she craved meat during pregnancy probably because of the protein Um, like how do you know if your cravings are something you really really need to get or is it, yeah, sometimes there's weird ones, I know. but Well, a lot of the time it is your body telling you something. So P.
1: carries is um, what you call the funny symptoms of, like, eating chalk and yeah. dirt, things like that when you're low in iron. So
0: oh,
1: ice, if it's a healthy food you're craving, absolutely listen to your body. Like, it is clever at telling you what you need, especially in pregnancy. But if it's for, say, like, you know, ice cream and sugary foods, then... <laughs> you find a, find the most healthy option that you can to have those foods um yeah I, I think there's a there is a fine line but um mm. yeah, definitely in a circumstance like that if they're vegan and craving meat or craving dairy then it's their body saying we need something yeah what about yeah. if you're craving chocolate well potentially magnesium yeah or chromium um so yeah, there's certain things like magnesium, magnesium and B6 can help with um, chocolate cra- or sugar cravings in general. So, you know, maybe they are deficient in magnesium. Doing it some salt bath at night might help, or having a magnesium spray or supplement. Um, but yeah, a little bit of chocolate. I think a good quality chocolate is is fine. It's just about the okay. reaching for.
0: <laughs> okay, so is that sort of the main? dietary recommendations for pregnancy should we go into breastfeeding maybe yeah. yeah yeah let's go into that so um
1: i guess the biggest thing here is honoring your body i see too many women go into you know motherhood unprepared and they're thrown into this midst of broken sleep and learning to be to look after their baby and the last thing they were thinking about was what they should be eating or, or how they should be resting. Um, so I'd say do if you you haven't been there yet and you're pregnant now or thinking about having a baby, do your research and, and get empowered before birth so that you're fully prepared and you know what to do if something comes up, but also um, how to look after yourself. So the biggest ones for helping your breast milk um, production is resting and warmth. Post birth, so we're naturally what's called vata dominant, so cold and windy post birth. So we need to be keeping warm, particularly feet and head, and like warm clothes. We need to be resting our eyes from screens. This can go a long way to then help with your milk coming in. So honouring your body, resting post birth, and asking for help that's huge. Uh, But of course, it is um, about what you're having as well within your body. So three litres plus water a day is really good to help with um, hydrating. And that can include teas, of course, as well, um, to help with breast milk production. So you can bring in some fennel tea or fenugreek tea or a mix of that and ginger. They're beautiful for helping milk production. Um, You need to understand that you need more calories um, during breastfeeding, so around 500 more calories, but it's not just about like we said at the start just having more carbs or or more food in general it's about the quality if you can get the quality in nutrient dense and more calories through that that's going to really support breast milk production Um, once again protein is important it does come down a bit from the third trimester but to around 80 grams which is still a good amount um, per day and that's helping your body give you the building blocks to be able to make this milk as well. Um, so th- going for quality, of course, like organic and grass-fed meats and, um, you know, free-range if, if you can get organic um, poultry, eggs like we talked about, and there's a difference between eggs that are roaming on, uh, like from chooks that are roaming on pasture instead of caged hens. I'm, I'm sure your listeners know all about that by now um, seeds nuts of course all of those things as well but the animal products you can't beat those for uh, you know protein sources as I touched on before your baby does leach your DHA during third trimester and breastfeeding so making sure that you're building those levels up you you may still be having a cod liver oil I would highly recommend that but looking at oily fish through your foods as well and that's going to help to prevent a mushy baby brain because that can be contributed from that low dha um, but it's also those good healthy fats they're going to help with your brain health in general your blood sugar and your energy levels as well which is what a new mum needs um, so getting that protein and getting the good fats alongside it really helps and and fish is fantastic way way to supply both of those um, the choline we talked about that goes up from pregnancy so it was already at a high amount that you needed but it goes up again and um, so those eggs Eggs are fantastic, unless of course your baby is upset from the eggs, then that's something that you'll need to navigate. But um, once again, you may need a supplement for the choline because of that. And when I say so I talk about carbs, you know, you may need more of them in general, but just going for those healthier ones. So as I mentioned at the start, choose your pumpkin over your white bread or pasta. And you know, you you know how to navigate that one, but it's just yeah, choosing wisely. And looking at super nutrition, so liver, once again, it's the best way to boost these nutrients. You'll probably be, you know, lower in your iron. It's it's very normal and you're meant to be lower in your iron because baby's taken that. And so you can boost that up through the liver um, post-birth as well. And, yeah, just know that this is a time when you really do need to be reaching for those nutritious foods to top yourself up again as i talked about at the start that bucket's coming down and down because baby's taking from you and if you're trying to produce this milk as well then that's you know baby's taking that way and we need to top you top you back up again so you may need supplements and you may need to see a naturopath just to really support yourself through that too but start with the foods and just be honest with yourself do you need to slow down do you need to take more naps do you need to ask for help Do you need to see someone to get these, you know, guidance on supplementation? Just take that time to nurture yourself because that is powerful when it comes to helping you to produce milk for your baby.
0: Yeah, I think um, breastfeeding and having a new baby is not the time to be miss independent. (laughs) Ask for help. (laughs) I just I remember what I was like. Um, yeah, I always, I guess I always asked my mum for help, but that was, but I was pretty independent. And I, I see that in different family members, you know, and they're, they're stressed with the new baby and they've got a lot on their plate, but they don't ask. But, you know, also as a family member, you need to be very aware that if someone in your family has just had a baby, um, bring them meals, take them some good quality eggs, you know, just do it don't even ask (laughs) it's um it's something that we've really noticed in our family that we try to all band together to provide meals for the new mamas and really you know even three months in they're still going to need a bit of help don't don't go okay they're okay now baby's three months old keep help. Do you yeah. find with um, babies that are reacting to, say, dairy in the mother's diet, um, is there some suggestions you would have there?
1: Yeah, dairy is one to be careful of in the first few weeks because bubs is still not producing lactase enzymes, so often that does contribute to colicky symptoms. So, when does that I, the lactase well, start to? It's it's after the first few weeks. Apparently, it does start to. Um, be produced, but I do find a lot of the time dairy in the first six months is an issue for mums. <laughs> yeah. So just be honest with yourself if you know that it's upsetting Bobs. Like this is a time to kind of be eating pretty plain and and then you can work out what foods are upsetting. Um, take a journal. This this time can be really confusing because is it something you've eaten is it because they're teething is it because they're i don't know something else is happening so write things down so it is easier so you know okay i did have that new food last night and then they had a poor sleep perhaps that was the contributing factors but yeah there's a lot of foods and i i don't like to overwhelm new mums with the list of things that it could be but yeah dairy unfortunately is one of the the main culprits soy as well um and just too much of even good foods like broccoli so it can be the amount that you're having so just start small and work your way up from there and you know most mums are in tune with knowing okay my bumps is a bit upset from that so yeah
0: write it down and, and for some people it's chocolate or yeah. Even Or onions, onions garlic. Um, yeah. yeah, I had a friend who said it was um, fizzy water, like even just mineral water. Yeah,
1: carbonated. Um, yeah, so kombucha is definitely one that will upset bubs most of the time. That the ferments are quite strong initially to bring in but also because of the bubbles um so that's something to be mindful of is if you are used to having all of your fermented foods just start slowly again post-birth because that could yeah potentially be upsetting bulbs um but yeah there's um i can't remember the question now but there's certainly some things that you can reach for like Beautiful chamomile tea can be something that's quite easy to make up for yourself and that you can have that can help to calm both you and Bub's gut. So, there's certainly lots of things that we can reach for, but just being in tune and writing things down helps.
0: Yeah. And for meals, things like slow cooked soups and stews and casserole and absolutely perfect because you're saying warming.
1: Yep yeah warming broths soups stews that's all really beautiful and easy to digest as well we have to remember that too post-birth um, there is if we're looking at ayurvedic um side of things they also look at warming foods but it's more plant-based but i would say that if you're not used to that diet um it's not a time to just all of a sudden post-birth have a heap of those foods like mung beans or maroonians that make up a curry and to have post birth, I'd say try them out first um, during pregnancy, but you can't go wrong with a beautiful broth and, and slow cooked meats on the bone and, and just slowly bring the veggies in. Uh, initially it might just be some wilted spinach or something like that, well cooked through the stew and then progressively increase like your brassicas
0: slowly because they could yeah cause a bit of wind for bubs. And what would you recommend if someone's losing their milk supply like before three months? So I'm starting to dwindle. What's some really good ways to get that up again? Yeah, so that's where firstly I would say making sure you're getting the foundations
1: right. So those things that we've talked about, the protein, the, you know, having those supplements there as well, the choline, um, like building yourself up. That's the first thing, keeping warm, keeping rested. If you're still noticing issues, and this is sort of a bit of a checklist, is make sure that, you know. If they're not wetting two nappies a day in the first few days and then six daily from there, that is a pretty good sign that they're not getting enough. Um, You can also, of course, get them weighed and things like that. But I don't like to stress mums out early because there's often a phase where bobs they bounce back with their weight. So I wouldn't be, like, worried in the first week that they've not met those measurements because often it's your, your body's, like your milk doesn't come in sometimes until five days. So just be kind with yourself there. But if you are noticing, you know, in weeks down the track that this isn't happening, we're not having six plus wet nappies a day, I'd firstly I'd ask your GP to test your thyroid because often it's thyroid related. Um, they may only need they may only be able to do TSH. So if you can see a naturopath they can get the whole panel tested. So you're looking at TSH, T4, T3, if possible, reverse T3 and thyroid antibodies and check if that's an issue because if that's the case, there's certainly things that we can do as a naturopath to support your thyroid to bring back that milk supply. Um, You know, it goes by, you know, demand. So making sure bubs is constantly, like, feeding from you to help um, increase that demand, It's supply and demand. So, yeah, if you're trying to stretch them out for four plus hours between between <laughs> feeds, then that's not going to help with the milk supply. So getting them on regularly can help to bring that back as well. So, yeah, I'd say nutritionally and from a naturopathic perspective, the thyroid is a big one that, um, you know, you want to get that one checked. But there's also some galactical foods that are foods that help to promote breast milk. Um, so ginger is one of those, as I mentioned at the start, oats, um, if you're, are, you know not sure about oats or if they don't digest well with you you could try them even soaked overnight before you have them make them into a porridge um flax seeds so there i'd recommend that they're ground because if you just eat flax seeds that it's going to go straight through you so ground flax seeds in the from the fridge to keep them nice and fresh then you could put them through a smoothie or a, you know a, a warming um porridge um brewer's yeast is one but Getting a good source of brewer's yeast is used as an issue, and if you do react to gluten, then that's out of the, out of the question. Um, fennel, as I mentioned before, fennel tea is fantastic, but you could use fennel vegetable as well, so incorporate that through your foods as well. Fenugreek um, too with the herbs, that, uh, with the tea, that's often in a lot of nursing formulas. Um, alfalfa herbal tea as well, milk thistle herbal tea, um, stinging nettle, um, your fermented foods. As I said, go slowly, but they actually can help with your your milk production too. But um, yeah, the the main thing I say is make sure you're resting, um, getting bubs on regularly, and making sure you're nourishing yourself with those foundations first, and um, getting that thyroid checked. Yeah, Good
0: tips. Thank you. Um, and with the babies as they're developing and you're starting to think about bringing in solids um you really want to be careful of their microbiome as well as what's Mm. first foods have you got some tips there or is this getting too long
1: (laughs) no this is where this is the stuff that i love um so i just firstly say that just to to solidify the importance of this phase. So if you have a baby under three years of age, it's such a special time because in terms of gut health, that is, Mm -hmm. because their gut microbiome or their, their microbiome is still developing. So up until the age of three, it's rapidly developing and at the age of three roundabouts is when it's compositionally similar to that of an adult. So that means that we've got this really opportunistic time most of the time it's in our control too that we can do these things to help support that development and so you know that starts with with helping out their microbiome and their intestinal integrity which is their their gut health so we do need to remember things like you know our gut is home to 70 percent of our body's immune cells that gut bacteria and the the metabolites they interact with cells lining the gut wall and the underlying immune cells so you know they go hand in hand we need the health of the gut microbiome is essential for the immune system maturation in children and so why this is important like why do we need to support that microbiome is because we know that there's you know there's lots of research that i linked to in thriving Bubba, the baby book um, if we can support this microbiome development now in that early age that has the power to reduce the risk of diseases later on and promote vibrant health for years to come and we know that poor microbiome development has been linked to issues with immune digestive um reproductive uh, yeah, metabolic sorry inflammatory diseases as well so just an example there um low bifidobacteria so bifido is the main one we want in a baby's um they're their gut that's what we predominantly want there initially um, low levels of that bifidose linked to elevated risk of asthma and obesity later in life and it's also linked to the development of eczema and allergies as well and another study that i linked to in my baby book is um, it showed an attention and language improvements in babies with healthy levels of two of the main bifido strains as well. So there's a big connection between gut brain, gut immune system, um, metabolism, all of those things. So yeah, what that's why we need to come back at this stage and really support it. So I guess when we're looking at factors that can impact their microbiome, we know pregnancy health. So there's some transfer of bacteria through the amniotic fluid in pregnancy of course, mode of birth. So if it's a vaginal birth, bubs is going through the vaginal canal and picking up your bacteria there. Um, So it's more, babies will then be more compositionally, their microbiome is compositionally similar to your gut and um, vaginal microbiome. Whereas if it's a baby born C-section, it's more similar to your skin um, and oral microbiome, but that can be turned around. So I'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, so also the way that they're nourished, whether that's through breast milk or formula and when they're ready for foods, that can all impact their microbiome too. So I'll I'll dive into that in a second. Whether they're getting skin-to-skin contact, so baby will be taking on all the bacteria in his or her environment post-birth. And so we want it to be yours through skin-to-skin and not the hospital's bacteria if you're birthing in a hospital. So this is a big one uh, that I always mention is take your own, blankets and um, towels and anything you can for bubs when you if you're birthing in the hospital so they're picking up your bacteria and not the hospitals but continuing that skin to skin is a beautiful way of a time to enhance um, that bacteria um, you know them absorbing your bacteria from your skin, that is. Um, whether they're on medications like antibiotics, of course, that's going to disrupt that development in those, you know, particularly those first three years of life. And then when, whether they're on probiotics to help with the recovery. But most importantly, with probiotics, the research is showing that it helps to prevent the recurrent infection that often happens when you have antibiotics in the first place. And we know they're dose-dependent, um, the, like the impacts of having a dose of antibiotics. It's um, that. Like if you can reduce the risk, uh, the the incidence of taking antibiotics, that's a really big one. So probiotics are really helpful. I will say, though, that probiotics need to be baby specific uh, because, as I mentioned before, the main um, strain we need is the bifido in their gut but also how dirty they're getting over time are they getting out playing in nature and getting dirty and playing with pets and other children that's all really important so but what I'll address is I was doing having a um I was talking at an event the other day to a group of mums and they had a lot of these like what if questions so I'll address some of those because I know they come up often yeah. so their first one is what if they are born c-section or or potentially they can't breastfeed either but firstly I'll say if they They're born c-section request the skin to skin so then at least you know you're getting that beautiful bonding post-birth that's going to help with remediating any stress of of potentially that event of a c-section beautiful bonding with bubs and that helps with your breastfeeding journey as well having that skin to skin and these babies as I said they'll have that bacteria that's more similar to mum's skin and oral microbiome but exclusively breastfeeding has shown to assist the recovery in their microbiome of C-section-born babies. So that then they're closely resembling that of a vaginally-born baby by around six weeks of age. So that's really powerful. If you, you know, weren't wishing to have a C-section and you're quite down about that process, at least you know that if you can breastfeed, that can help to recover that microbiome. And breast milk, the way that this works is that breast milk It has prebiotic, probiotic, immune modulating and gut motility regulating properties within it. So the the main type of um, bacteria in the baby's gut, the bifido, that breaks down the sugars, the oligosaccharide sugars in the breast milk, which feed on the bifido. And in turn, that supports all other organisms to grow. So it's this beautiful cycle that occurs when the breast milk's feeding the bifido and the bifido is breaking down the sugars. And then over time, usually by around six months, there's a much more diverse microbiome there for bubs. So that's why breastfeeding is you know, just one of the reasons why it's so beautifully beneficial for bubs. Um, but the next question, of course, is what if they can't breastfeed? What I would suggest doing is seeing a naturopath so that they can give you some baby-specific probiotics. There's some on the market that do have some prebiotics that might be a bit harsh initially for bubs. So if you've got a really young bubber, there's ones that are better than others, um, but also over time doing that skin to skin and letting them get dirty. That's all going to help over time, reduce the risk of allergies. We know um, that occurs when they get dirty over time. So I'm you can do that. all of those things as well. So once again, there's always something you can do to in- improve their microbiome.
0: So when you say yeah. probiotics for babies, are you talking about something the mother takes or something you put on? Yeah, both.
1: Breast, yeah. So what I would suggest for most across the board for for most breastfeeding mums i say you take one yourself um and then if something comes up so whether they're born via c-section or if they're bottle like formula fed or if they have colic or if there's something else like eczema happening um, then look at a probiotic that you can give to bubba direct so it's a bit stronger that way but otherwise that breast that um Probiotics will come through the breast milk, so that's a starting point that I always say. Um, but I will also address um, another: what if is what if they get sick? And it and this is for children in general. I just say that firstly, if they're being recommended to have antibiotics, really question the need for the for the antibiotics. Um, but you know that there's these superfoods like sauerkraut juice that you can give to bubbers that just absolutely boost up their their good bacteria in their immune system so there's things that we can do that are very gentle but powerful for for babies oh. um, So yeah sauerkraut juice a- around four months I would say you could bring that in so when you're looking at potentially bringing in solid foods that would be the first thing to do um, but otherwise yeah yeah I can talk about that in a second um, but don't be scared of kids getting sick it actually trains their immune system so you know them getting a cold that that develops their immune system and trains it. So it's it's a it's a beautiful process. But usually, what happens is if they're breastfed, then there's this um, you know nature's way of protecting a baby is if mum's exposed to something, then um, they have this open gut babies do natural open gut, and so that allows the antibodies produced from mum to get in through the milk into babies quite easily. So there is a beautiful um, protection that occurs in nature naturally but if your bubba does get sick don't be scared it's you know something that will help their immune system long term and there are things that we can do to help support them yeah but you did mention about introducing food so um what I would suggest here is that um you know I've got some considerations and I'll, I'll go through those because I think they're really important let me get my notes up yeah. so basically before When someone says, you know, they're ready for for, um, bringing in solids or they're thinking about, you know, um, starting the process, I just say look at these considerations first. So... We're wanting to encourage healthy microbiome development long-term and we want to also support babies' natural gut maturation. So as I just mentioned, the the babies have this natural open gut they're born with and that's so that those antibodies from mum's milk can get in into bub's bloodstream for their protection. This naturally starts to close from around six months of age, six to nine months. And so that's as, as the baby's gut and the immune system matures. And it's therefore, in my opinion, a much better way, a, like better time to start to introduce foods. So then, you know, it's it's closing. So there's a less likely chance of undigested food proteins getting into the bloodstream and causing immune reactions and um, responses and, and food intolerances and things like that. So we want to avoid that leaky gut long-term and those, you know, immune reactions like, Yeah, inflammation and food intolerances and immune challenges and we want to just optimize their absorption of the nutrients in general so that makes sense to me and um, that's sort of something that you can go by to really honor their their gut maturation first of course we want to optimize their nutrition reduce toxicity and support detoxification through foods and the first thing we need to really look at is that Iron stores in breast milk drop around six months of age. So firstly, we should be looking at iron-rich foods for bubba. There's two forms. There's iron, uh, heme iron, which are from animal sources, and non-heme iron from plant sources. And if we're looking at heme, heme sources, they are more superior. We know that they absorb better over non-heme, but also importantly over iron-fortified foods. So something that comes to mind is rice cereal. So rice cereal's not only low in the absorption of their iron, but it contains phytic acid. So that's that um, impacts the other the absorption of other minerals in in that food. So it's, you know, we need we need zinc as well. So for example, that phytic acid will would impact the absorption of zinc from the foods, which we know is hugely important for their growth and their gut lining health, their immune system, their brain health. Um, so we're looking at foods, what foods would naturally contain iron or B- and B12 and zinc, of course, meats would slow so cooking and um, bringing in liver and egg yolks. These are all amazing foods for first for bubbers. Eggs, of course, contain that choline, which we've talked about a bit as the importance for their you know, brain health and cognitive function. So, um, yeah, that'd be things that I'd be looking at there instead. So we're going for nutrient-dense pure superfoods rather than those fillers. And, of course, those foods will naturally contain those nutrients that help them to detoxify naturally as well. So and they're going to easily absorb that rather than it creating inflammation in their their gut. And, of course, you know, choosing foods from scratch instead of, you know, from buying from a packet, of course. Um, quality is important. So I mentioned about the eggs before, so that, you know, looking at things where, the, where it comes from, an egg that's been laid by a barn. Um, raised chicken is going to be completely different to that, that the chooks has been running around scratching in grass and eating insects and in the sun. So they'll generally have a brighter yolk, which is more vitamin A. So, you know, we know there's more nutrients in that. Um, we want to enhance their digestion, their absorption and utilisation of foods. So we want to be looking at perspiration purposeful sourcing of food. So just an example there is um, avocados that are ripe, um, contain more lipase, so it's slightly squishy rather than one that's quite hard. And bananas that are brown-spotted are easier for bubbers to digest because they have higher amylase enzyme content. So that's just a couple of examples there. And then, of course, um, Joe, you're, you're all about preparing these foods properly. So, you know, fermenting and soaking can help their absorption of foods. And, um, you know, it's just another reason why we don't want to rush into um, giving food, all these foods at once to bubbers and, and particularly when I'm looking at that and talking about cereals, because they don't start to produce those enzymes to break down cereals until at least one year of age. So that's something to also think about when um, we're bringing in foods and, of course, their well-being. So we want to create a beautiful environment, respectful, clear, clear communication, a happy mealtime experience to, you know, create these healthy long-term habits around mealtime. So there are some things that I generally say first. And in terms of, um, you know, reducing the risk of allergies, we want to be breastfeeding alongside of, of bringing in the foods that's been shown to reduce the risk of allergies. And the current guidelines are saying, after four months of age, just before six months of age. But as I said, um within that, you know, looking more more at the six months of age will help their gut, um, you know, honor honor their gut maturation. Yeah. So that's some big, big ones that I like to go through.
0: I'm fascinated by um, Ghee being a first food in India. Have mm-hmm. you
1: it? Yeah, well I assumed I haven't actually looked at at what yeah. that list would be like but of course and, it, yeah. and
0: so you know good fats being so important mm. yeah it's interesting um so what do you recommend for fats for when they're first starting solid? Yeah,
1: well, having the like when you're slow cooking like giving them the fat within that um avocados would probably be the one of the biggest um, fat sources initially but cod liver oil um so that's that can be given to bubs it, it is going through the milk if you're having it yourself but what I've found with the cod liver oil is like naturally I just wanted to give it to my bubbers anyway and I've noticed that earlier you can do that then they're going to like that food Mm. whereas if you wait until after perhaps you're not taking it anymore or breastfeeding they're likely not going to like cod liver oil then unfortunately so if you can start to bring these foods in earlier they don't know the difference. Like they're not being brainwashed to what's a yucky food and what's a yummy yeah. food. they that going to gobble it up. So, um you know yeah, I think that's a really awesome food for their brain and if we can bring that in. And it, it teaches them, you know, you could take it off the spoon. So um, I like to do a combination. People ask whether I'm baby-led weaning or spoon feeding I think they both have benefits yeah. uh, I think the benefit of spoon feeding is you can get foods in like cod liver oil and broth and um, that's really beautiful um, how much, gonna, sorry
0: can I just quickly ask how much you would give them
1: cod liver oil we'd start with the very first time you give it to them I'd start with even less than a meal and
0: work up to one meal at, by one year of age uh, to two meals of two, meal, two meals by two years of age yeah mm-hmm. There's so much information that you've given us. Can you just quickly tell us about your book so that those who need more information can go and find it and also your website, podcast?
1: Yeah, amazing. Well, you can find me firstly on Instagram at glowingmama.thrivingbubba, but if you're in any of these stages, so whether it's, you know, heading into baby mum life, whether you're pregnant at the moment or whether you have a bubba, if you head to glowingmama.com, and that's Mama M-U-M-M-A, um, I've actually given a set up a code quirky. So if you want to um, jump in and get any of the products, then you can get a special price on my preconception guides, path to conscious conception, my pregnancy, birth and postpartum program, path to glowing mama and my baby book, thriving Bubba. So that's code quirky at glowingmama.com.
0: Oh, Now that's so cool. I'll put that in the notes below as well. Thank um, you. And, yeah, there's so much information there that I wish I'd known when I had kids, but, you know, you just start where you are and do the best you can, don't you?
1: I, that's the big takeaway is you yep. can always do something from here, so don't look back at what you haven't done. <laughs> always look forward and, and what you can do from here is just, yeah, there's so many things we can do. And
0: any age of children or even adults start bringing in those same foods you're talking about because they're always going to be, be of benefit.
1: Which are a massive testament to you, Jo. So. <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> I learned that the hard way. Mm. Um, yeah, so thank you so much, Casey. That was really, really helpful. And I know there's going to be a lot of mums out there or almost mums or hopeful mums. Um, very, very um, thankful for the information.
1: Oh, thank you um, so, so much. Pop over and
0: check, check out Casey's Instagram and website and um, have a look what she's got shared there. Thank Thank you so much, much. James. Have a great day.